We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 54. The series Capacity continues this morning. We want to talk about increasing our capacity for God, for the things of God, our capacity for greater relationships with those around us, and all that God is asking and wanting to do is in us and through us. As you're turning in your Bible, let me remind you, Wednesday evening we have adult classes at 7 o'clock, dinners at 6, and then classes at 7. Come and be a part of that. And also, uh, Anika Fields, and I'm looking for, I know she's here, right here in the front, is starting a widows and widower support group. So see Anika for details. That'll be coming in February. Another great ministry and opportunity to invest in those who need to know the love of Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 54, beginning in verse 1, reading through verse 5. Sing, O barren, you who have not born, break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Now, when you read that from a newer translation or you read it from the actual Hebrew, this is a better translation. It says, think big. Think big. I like that. Folks, we need to understand we may not be enlarging our dwellings, but we need to think big. Because when we see our capacity increase, it all begins by changing the way we think and understanding God has greater things in store for you and I. So stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Think big. Do not spare. Don't be a miser. Don't be a grinch. Don't do the little things. Think big for what God wants to do in you and through you. Strengthen your stakes. For you'll expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make desolate the cities inhabited. The desolate cities inhabited. Do not fear. You'll not be ashamed. And I love the next verse. It says, neither be disgraced. You know what that really means? It means stop holding back. Stop holding back. So many of us live in a place where we are holding back. We're afraid we might get hurt. We're afraid maybe God won't honor his promise. We're afraid maybe it won't happen the way we hope if we think back. So then we hold back and we don't allow God to do everything he wants to do in us. Don't hold back. You will not be put to shame. You will forget the shame of your youth, will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. For your maker is your husband. I like this. The Lord of hosts is his name. Your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. So who's going to make these things happen that we just read? His name is the Holy One of Israel, the maker of the whole earth. His name is Jesus. Amen. His word is yet true today, and he honors his promise in and over us. So this morning when we're talking about capacity, I want to talk about we need to diminish our fear, our anxiety, our stress, our worry in order to increase our capacity, in order to have the ability to think big, in order to not hold back any longer, we've got to remove some things so that we can gain. Can you say amen? It's a very simple concept, but it's amazing how perplexing it is to apply. So when I think about fear, by definition, it's a distressing emotion that is aroused by impending danger, by evil, by pain, whether the threat is real or unreal. And that's what we need to understand. 
Fear can occur because there really is a danger, or fear can occur because we think there may be a danger. It's the feeling or condition of being afraid. So ask yourself this morning, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? What do you struggle with? What do you wrestle with? What keeps you up at night? What wakes you at 3 o'clock in the morning? What are you afraid of? Synonyms for fear are a sense of foreboding, a sense of apprehension, of consternation, of dismay, of dread, of terror, of fright, a panic, a horror, a trepidation, a qualm. Doing the research for this message, I read an article entitled, The Top Strong Human Fears. The Top Ten Strong Human Fears. This is what they are. The top ten fears, they say, that's shared by all of humanity. Number ten is losing your freedom. Number nine is the fear of the unknown. Number eight is pain. Number seven is disappointment. Number six is misery. Number five is loneliness. Number four is ridicule. Number three, rejection. Number two, death. And number one... The greatest thing feared by humanity is failure. When I looked at those, I realized a lot of those things are really tied together. Death and the unknown, those two pretty well go together. Rejection and ridicule, those go together. Pain and misery, those go together. Failure and loneliness, they go together. But all those fears are existential. In other words, they're not tied to a circumstance or a person or a particular incident. They're not fears of specific things. So then I thought, well, what are we really afraid of? So I found a Gallup poll. It said, these are the things Americans are most afraid of. Are you ready for this? Number one, and by the way, I need some participation. So there's no shame in here. Confession's good for the soul, right? So as I run through this list, if that's you, feel free to say that's me. God's going to break that off of you today, all right? The number one thing Americans are afraid of is snakes. Anybody here afraid of snakes? Oh, yeah, there's a bunch of you. There's a bunch of you. You need to remember, where is that snake? He's under your feet. Just step on his head and move on. Number two is public speaking. Anyone here afraid of public speaking? Go ahead and lift up your hand. Yeah, there's a bunch of you in this room that have that fear. Number three is heights. Anyone afraid of heights? Tons of you there as well. How about being closed in a small space like claustrophobia? Anyone? Yeah, there's a few of you. I can remember when my boys were like uh, seven and ten years old. They wanted to go on a Royal Ranger trip, which was uh, uh, going to a cave. Well, I grew up around caves. It wasn't a big deal. That's fine with me. Well, when we got there in southern Kansas, there wasn't a cave like you'd expect with a big gaping hole in the rock. There was this little bitty entrance down into the rock. And I'm thinking, well, this is going to be real interesting. It's not a problem if you're 10 years old and you weigh 85 pounds. But if you're 6'3 and you weigh oh, just north of 200, it may be a problem. But I wasn't going to chicken out then. No way. You know, I'm a man. I'm going to do this. I'm going to man up. So my boys went down in that hole. I went down in that hole. And for a half a mile, we crawled in space where my shoulders were touching the edge of that rock the entire time. And I'm thinking, God, if you ever get me out of here, I'm never doing this again. (laughs) Never doing this again. Small spaces. Number five is spiders. Anybody afraid of spiders? Yeah, there's a few of you. How about needles and getting shots? Anybody afraid of that? Yeah, there's a few of you there as well. How about mice? That's the number seven fear, mice. Anybody afraid of mice? Do you realize they're only that big? They don't bite. They just stink. You can go ahead and stomp on them and it's okay. It's, I'm not a tree hugger. You haven't figured that by now? It's okay to kill mice and snakes. Amen. Nothing wrong with that. 
Flying on an airplane. Anybody afraid of flying on an airplane? There's a few. There's a few. Now, number nine, I don't understand. It's dogs. Anybody afraid of dogs? Yeah, there's quite a few of you. I remember in that first church I pastored, there were some neighbors that moved in down the street, and I went down to welcome them to town and to invite them to church. I had just knocked on the front door when I heard a sound coming from about 20 feet away at the back of the carport. So I turned to look, and there was a huge German shepherd growling at me, his white teeth bared, and I'm thinking, this really wasn't a good idea. And so I very carefully started backing away, keeping my eye on that dog, knowing what it felt like to be bit by a dog, and it's not a fun experience. Backing away, and every step I took, he advanced one, keeping that distance between us, till finally I could grab the door of my pickup, throw it open, and jump in and slam the door. Fear of dogs. Some are legitimate, some are not. Number 10, thunder and lightning. Anybody afraid of storms? Yeah, there's a lot of people I found in the South, especially they're afraid of thunder and lightning. Number 11, going to the doctor. Anybody afraid of going to the doctor? How about the dentist? Let's try it that way. Yeah, there's a few more of you there. And number 12, afraid of the dark. If we turn the lights out, it's as dark as midnight in here, but there's no reason to fear. So we understand we have very real fears. That's a much more concrete list. We have fears, things we're worried about. Can I tell you, mice you don't need to worry about. Don't need to fear those things. We need to understand that God is the Lord overall and in all when it comes to our fears. First, fear is a basic human emotion. So we can honestly say, this is what I'm afraid of. And ask God to help me to overcome that fear. Matter of fact, Scripture is full of individuals who had to overcome their fear. For instance, Abraham, and we're going to talk about him in just a little while, had to put his son, that son of promise, Isaac, on the altar. There's no doubt in my mind that there had to be a little fear there. What if he dies? What if I do sacrifice him? What happens to the promise of God that's over my life at that point? Moses had to take his staff. That was his weapon. That was his protection. And God said, throw it down. So when he threw it down, God turned it into a snake, as you remember, and gobbled up those of the Pharaoh's magicians. But it came because he confronted that fear. Elisha, when the prophet Elijah came by and threw his cloak on him and said, come and follow me, had to confront the fear. I don't know how I'm going to live. I don't know how I'm going to be provided for. My father's a wealthy man. He was plowing with oxen. So to confront his fear, he butchered his oxen and he burned the implements of his farm equipment for the fire on that oxen. He took a drastic step. Jonathan, the son of Saul, the best friend of David, had to climb a cliff to confront the Philistines and see the victory won. Peter in the New Testament saw Jesus coming across the water, and he said, bid me come to you. Did Peter know he could walk on water? Absolutely not. He had no idea he could do that. But Jesus was doing it, so if Jesus was doing it, he thought maybe he could as well. But in order to do it, he had to step out of the boat. He had to confront a fear. Folks, hear me this morning when I say fears are real. It's a part of who we are as humans, but we can't allow them to paralyze us. We can't allow them to minimize the presence of God in our life. We can't allow our fears to subvert God's purposes for you and me. I told you when we opened this series of messages that you weren't saved so you could make it safely to death and then die and go to heaven. Can you say amen? 
Jesus Christ came. He gave his very life and shed his own blood to make you and I not safe, but to make us dangerous. Dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. Dangerous to the philosophies of the enemy. Dangerous. And we're fighting a war to bring victory to men and women around the world. He died to make us dangerous. But we'll never be dangerous if we're bound by fear. If we're consumed by fear. Somewhere in this discussion of fear, God's got to figure into the equation. Can you say amen? As I've told you, it's a natural human emotion. I've told you what Americans are afraid of. You've raised your hand about the things you yourself are afraid of. But I've come to tell you this morning, God has liberated us, and we don't have to live in the grip of fear, anxiety, worry, or stress. There is a better way to live. Can you say amen? A better way. Matter of fact, there are over 365 times in the Bible that the Word says, fear not. Fear not. My favorite one, though, is found in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 3. This is what the Word says. But now says the Lord, who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel. Listen to it. Fear not. Why are we not to be afraid? Because I have redeemed you. Do you understand what that means? You understand the context of redeemed and the meaning of redeemed? It means He has bought you back. And aren't you glad this morning that we have been bought with a price? And that price was the blood of Jesus Christ. And because we have been redeemed, bought back out of sin, brought back out of fear, we could stand in assurance and declare, I know my Redeemer lives and I can face anything that comes against me. And I know the Word of God will not return void because I have been redeemed. Redeemed, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have bought you back. Then I like the next phrase in that verse, I have called you by your name. We don't live in an invisible society. God knows us, each and every one. God understands who you are and where you're at. He knows your address and your phone number. He knows how to get a hold of you. Oh, friend, He knows your name. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. See, understanding who we belong to alleviates fear. When we become fearful over our finances, we need to remember I belong to God. God's already spoken promises over my life. He has told me He will meet and supply my every need. What did He say in Matthew chapter 6? Don't you know the Father already knows you need food, clothing, and shelter? So why are you stressing about it? He's going to take care of it and make sure those things are provided for you. And then go on, he talks in verse 2, when you pass through the waters. Let me say it this way, when you're in over your head. Anybody ever been in over their head? I feel like I live in that place. I'm constantly in over my head. But it's a great place to live because it shows me that when I'm in over my head, I've got a God who has a life jacket for me. I've got a God with a lifeline for me. I've got a God that said, I placed you there. And if you'll remain faithful, if you'll continue to follow me, I'm going to get you through it. Don't be afraid of getting in over your head. My goodness, this whole thing about faith, it's being able to not see the next step and taking it anyway. It's being able to not know what tomorrow holds, but rushing towards tomorrow anyway. 
Someone said when we started the Accelerate campaign on August 21st, that'll never happen. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. I'm in over my head, but I serve a God who gives swimming lessons, and I'm going to be okay. Come on, we need to get into our spirit. He goes on to say, when you pass through the waters, when you're in over your head, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they'll not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned. You say, well, there's no scriptural precedent for any of that. Are you kidding me? Read the Old Testament. Everything he just said is already there and it's already been done. And I'm just silly enough to believe that if God did it for one, he'll do it again for me. So when the rivers are raging around me and the current's about to sweep me away, I can stand firm and I can say, God, you're the God who rolled back the Red Sea and the Israelites walked through on dry ground. You're the God who rolled back the Jordan River and the Israelites walked through on dry ground. You don't love them anymore than you love me and when I'm in the river you're going to come and stop the waters come on somebody it's time to stop being afraid of what you can't control because those are describing situations you and I can't control things that are out of our control is what the scripture is describing he goes on to say and when you walk through the fire oh yeah there's a pretty good illustration of that too isn't there I think it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said to that wicked king, O king, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. You can throw us in the fiery furnace and we may die. But this one thing we know, God will deliver us out of your hand. You're not going to win. Oh, come on, folks. you got to have some grit and some metal in your guts that say when times are tough and the fire is hot and opposition is against me, I serve a God that's going to deliver me. He's going to see me through. I will not be afraid. I will not be bound by fear because the word says, fear not, for I am with thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When you walk through the waters, they're not going to overflow you. When you walk through the rivers, you're not going to be consumed. When you pass through the fire, you're not going to be burned. Matter of fact, when the old wicked king saw those three Hebrews in that fire, he looked down in the pit and he said, wait a minute. Didn't we throw three men bound into that fire? Then why do I see four loosed and walking about? And the fourth is like unto the Son of God. Oh, somebody, get it in your spirit this morning. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's not going to leave you high and dry. When you're in the fire, He's right there with you. There's no reason to fear. Give that fear to Him and let Him show you what He will do in your heart and in your life. He says in verse 3, For I am the Lord your God. The Holy One of Israel. What did we read in our text this morning? Who's going to do those things for us? The Holy One of Israel. We read it again. Who's going to do this for us? The Holy One of Israel. I read those scriptures and it inspires me. And it causes me to rise up with courage and declare I will not be afraid. I may not be able to see tomorrow. I may not have an answer for the next minute. But I know who holds tomorrow. And my hand is in his hand. And we're going through. God will deliver me. God will deliver me. The Word says it again and again, but too often we are so paralyzed by our fear, we never think to look up. 
We never think to call on Him. We never think to recall the promises of the Word. Oh, listen, when the diagnosis is bad, you need to follow the instruction of the doctor. But more than that, you need to turn to the great physician whose name is Jesus Christ because He came to heal sickness and disease, to strengthen in weakness, to comfort those who mourn, to relieve our sorrows. Oh, come on, church. It's time to look back to the Holy One of Israel. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Too often, though, when we are faced with fears and circumstances are adverse, when we've prayed sometimes and God doesn't seem to be coming through. Anybody ever been there? You prayed and prayed and there's no answer. The heavens are brass. What do we do? We stand in faith. Because the opposite just doesn't work. We cannot be a people who yield to fear. Because listen to me, this isn't in your notes, but you need to write it down. Fear always births doubt. Doubt is the first thing that happens when we're consumed with fear. We begin to doubt. Well, maybe he said it, but it wasn't for me. That's good for you, but it doesn't work for me. Maybe God did that 10,000 years ago, but he's not doing it again today. We begin to doubt. And then doubt always brings a harvest. Are you ready for this? Of frustration and anger. Always. You find an angry person around you, they're always angry, they're always frustrated. You need to say, what is it you're afraid of? Because the root of that anger and frustration is fear of some type. What are you afraid of? The church has been decimated by disenfranchised individuals who for one reason or another were disappointed in their experience with the contemporary church. And because a man, a pastor, a deacon, someone sitting on the pew beside him, a worship leader, because someone disappointed them, they begin to think there's nothing to it at all. It becomes doubt. And that doubt brings them to the place where, I'm not going to church again. They, they bailed on me. It didn't work for me. There's no truth to that. And they're filled with frustration and sometimes even anger because they've allowed fear to take root in their hearts and in their lives. We need to understand fear will destroy your faith. Fear will undermine your relationship with God. Fear will erode your foundations that your life has been built upon if you allow it to continue to work on you. Fear will destroy your life. The Bible says it 365 times, fear not. Fear not. So ask yourself this morning, what is it I'm afraid of? Is it a circumstance I can control or one that I can't control? What is it that I'm afraid of? And let God begin to address that in your life today. We are living in a nation that is consumed by fear. You realize that, right? Half of our nation thinks we're going to hell in the handbasket because we changed presidents. I've got news for you, Christian Heritage, and for everyone watching online and listening to this recording. Our future does not rest in the White House. Our future rests in the throne of the living God. And it doesn't matter to me if it's a Democrat or if it's a Republican that's in that position because I serve a higher power whose name is Jesus Christ who came and lived a sinless life and died on the cross and three days later rose again from the dead. And the same power that raised him from the dead now dwells in me. So I'm not going to moan and groan. Talking to Yvonne's son, David, not long ago, he works at the Boys and Girls Club in Denver. 
said he was amazed after the election how many of those teenagers that he interacts with were absolutely afraid for their future. You know what that tells me? It tells me that we have a generation with no spiritual foundation. We have a generation with no anchor in eternity. Whose fault is that? Number one, it's their parents. Say amen. And number two, it's the church. Because we become anemic and powerless and useless and and absolutely irrelevant in so many aspects of society. It's time for the church to say, I will not fear what man can do to me. God is my helper. And through God, we will do all things and do them valiantly. I'm looking for some people who want to be a part of a rebellion, who will stand against church as normal, who will say, I want to be a part of overturning this thing and revolutionizing our society for the gospel of Jesus. Christ. I'm looking for some rebels in this place this morning. I'm looking for some people that will say, I'm tired of being sick and tired. I'm tired of being captivated by fear. I am ready to attack the portals of hell with the gospel of Jesus Christ and redeem, see men redeemed through the blood of Jesus. Come on, it's time for the church to be the church. We're in the position we're in in our society because the church has bought the lie that says you can do whatever you want inside these walls, just don't take it to the streets. Where the admonition of Jesus Christ was, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He didn't say contain it in the walls of the temple or the synagogue. He said go into all the world. Oh, come on, folks, we sing that Te Amo. It makes me want to go to Latin America right now. I love that stuff. We've got to understand there's got to be something burning inside of us that cannot be capsulized, cannot be contained, cannot be held down. There's something inside of us that says, devil, you're not big enough, you're not bad enough, you're not strong enough because the Redeemer lives in me. He who died and rose again from the dead directs and controls my life. We've got to get into our spirits that we can overcome fear. We don't have to be bound by that. Kind of reminds me of one of my favorite stories. The little 80-year-old woman that was pulled over by the highway patrolman. When he came to get her driver's license and insurance, she also handled him her concealed and carry permit. Yes, I have one. If you don't like it, I'm sorry, but I'm not giving it up because you don't like it. Amen. He handed it over to her and he said, ma'am, do you have a gun on you at this time? She said, yes, sir. I have a 38 revolver on my hip. Wonderful, ma'am. Do you have any other weapons in your car? Yes, sir. I have a three fifty-seven Magnum in my glove box. Wonderful, ma'am. Do you have any other weapons in your car? Yes, sir. I have a forty-five in my console. Wonderful. Do you have any other weapons in your car? Yes, I have a Glock 9mm in my purse. Wonderful. Do you have any other weapons in your car? Yes, I've got a sawed-off 12-gauge under my seat. Wonderful. Do you have any other weapons in your car? No, that's it. Then he says, ma'am, what are you afraid of? She said, not a darn thing. Come on, folks, it's time to recognize the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down vain imagination. What's fear? Fear is either real or it's imagined. Casting down vain imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So let me define it this way. Anything in your life that's contrary to the knowledge and the revelation of Jesus Christ is fear and it needs to be gone. Needs to be cast out and cast down through the blood of Jesus Christ. We need to understand fear is a very real human emotion, but we overcome that fear 
through the sacrifice and through the blood and through the promise of Jesus Christ. Abraham was a man who set a very interesting example for us. One thing about the Old Testament patriarchs and saints, they weren't perfect. You realize that, right? They made mistakes. We want to put them in stained glass in our windows and think they were somehow perfect and never made an error or made a mistake. That's not true. Every one of them were humans that walked in shoe leather just like you and I do. They breathed the same air from the same atmosphere. They made mistakes. But the great thing about it is God overcame their mistakes when they gave them to Him. Amen. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. The Bible tells us about a guy by the name of Abraham. And suddenly, God just appears to Abraham. You realize that's what happens when you give your life to Jesus. He appears to you. He makes himself real to you. He shows you there is a better way to live. He has a promise for you. He has a plan for you. If you're in this room this morning, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I've got news for you. Today's your day. God's appearing to you. The Spirit of God is revealing Jesus to you. And you can walk out of this place changed, transformed, a different individual because you encountered God. Well, I thought that'd make you a little more happy. It made me happy. Abram was living in Ur of the Chaldees. History tells me this was a very successful city, a center of commerce and education, a city that was known throughout that part of the world. Some scholars think there may have been as many as 250,000 people living in the city of Ur at that time. And when God showed up and appeared to Abraham, Abraham was already 75 years old. By the way, that's just middle age. Can you say amen? I'm not there yet, but it's still middle age. See, if I say 75 is middle age, then I'm still a young man. Amen. I love that. Some of you need to take that truth home with you as well. He appeared to Abraham and he said, I've got another plan for your life. Abraham was married to a woman by the name of Sarai. And when you look at that, her actual name means contentious. Interesting. You might see that if you read the whole scripture. God appeared to Abraham, and this is what he said to him in chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. Now, everything about that statement invokes fear into men's hearts and lives. Leave the familiar, leave your livelihood, leave your tribe, leave your clan, and go someplace you've never been and do something you've never done. Just a bit of a marital advice. If you're a newlywed, the greatest thing you can do is go a thousand miles away from your home. Come on. I'm telling you the truth. You need to get away from mama. You need to set your wings afloat, and you need to establish your own life. I'm telling you, if you stick around and you live with mama and daddy, good things are not going to happen. I told every one of my kids, you need to understand something. From the time they were six, seven years old, you need to understand something. I'm raising you to leave. That's the plan. You're going to go. No, you're not living here forever. I'm raising you to leave. And they are great, independent young men and women today, but they understood their plan was not to stick around with me. Their plan was to leave. So God said to Abraham, get out of your country, from your family. I don't know why I said that. That's just free stuff, all right? Free advice. Away from your father's house to a land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. Does anyone know what Abram means? It means father. It means father. But isn't it interesting, the man whose name meant father had no children. Did you ever think about that? 
Do you ever think about the destiny God has already sown into your life and the things He wants to do in you and through you? You just haven't seen it yet. Sometimes it means you're going to have to take a step into the unknown to see what God has in store for you. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You'll be a blessing and I will... Listen to this. Come on, our politicians need to hear it. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse him who curses you. And in you all, the families of the earth shall be blessed. Go ahead and read Genesis chapter 12. You're going to find in verse 7, God said, all the land I'm sending to you is going to be yours. Another another sidebar. I don't know why I'm doing this. I never do this. Chasing rabbits again this morning, but somebody needs to hear it. Someone said, well, that land over there, it doesn't belong to Israel. It belongs to the Palestinians. Go back to Genesis chapter 12. God gave it to Abram, and Abram was the father of the Israelite nations. And it doesn't matter what man in history has tried to do or pervert. That is still the land of promise and the land that God has promised to the Israelites. And our politicians better get their head out of it and start doing right towards Israel. Amen. Anyway, back to the text. So Abraham departed as the Lord has spoken to him. And he was 75 years old when he departed. I can almost hear the conversation. Obviously, Sarai was not a part of this. Abraham goes back to her and says, well, I, I got instructions from the Lord. Who's the Lord? There have been no revelation of God to man to this point other than Noah and a few others. God is showing up big time. She has no context, no way to frame this. Listen, when God wants you to step out of your fears and do something else, He's going to put you in a context that you have no framework for. He's going to put you in a place where your faith has to operate rather than your fear. And you have to take a step into the unknown. Well, where are we going to live? We have a beautiful home right here. You have all this cattle and lands and herds. You're wealthy. Why do we need to go anywhere else? How could it be any better? Listen to me. If you'll follow God into the unknown, you're going to find better. You'll stop settling for best, and you'll find better when you follow God into the unknown. You're going to find His perfect will. You're going to find His complete and total provision when you follow God into the unknown. I can almost hear Sarah, or Abram saying to Sarai, Well, we're going to stop by Sears. We're going to pick up a few tents, and we'll live in some tents. That's what we're going to do. They took off. They began a journey of faith. They overcame their fear. They walked into the unknown to a place he had never been, to a land he had never experienced, to be surrounded by a culture he knew nothing about, a language he had never learned. Oh, somebody get this in your spirit. Stop being afraid to step out. Stop being afraid of the unknown. Stop being afraid of going where you've never gone and let God do something in you that will revolutionize your life and be a blessing to those come after you. That's what happens when we follow Him into the unknown. When we follow Him where we've never been before, that step means overcoming basic human fear. They were leaving family. They were leaving structure. They were leaving tribal relationships. They were stepping into a place they had never been, to a language they didn't know, with people whose customs they didn't understand. Why do you think I tell you all the time? On Wednesday night, I want to see you sitting with somebody that doesn't look like you. You need to experience some customs you don't understand. 
We, Yvonne and I make a conscious habit of taking people out to dinner or bring them to our home or going to their homes who don't look like us. When Mary Ritz uh, came from South Africa, from Zimbabwe, I said, Mary, do you cook pop? And it's a great food if you've ever been to South Africa in that part of the world. Yes, I do. And she made some pop for me. It's a, I'm not even going into it. You just need to understand when we step out, we learn, we broaden, we expand. I'll tell you what, I ate greens before I came here, but there's no greens like the greens cooked in the South. Can you say amen? Bring them on. Good stuff. That's not my culture. I grew up an American Indian in western Oklahoma. We didn't eat greens. We wouldn't even eat salad. That was kind of foo-foo food. Steak and potatoes every meal, even for breakfast. That's all we ever wanted to eat. It's a matter of expanding who we are, going where we've never been, and allowing God to do something in us and through us. Now, God made a promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, you're going to be a father of a mighty nation. Genesis chapter 13, he says, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. Ten years pass, and Sarai is still barren. She hasn't born a child. She hasn't gotten pregnant. Nothing is going on. Is the promise void? Was he tempted to give up? And then this is the way we are. When we know what God has spoken to us, when we understand God's promise, but we don't see it happening immediately, fear begins to take over. Maybe I didn't hear him right. Maybe I sinned. Maybe I'm not doing what God wants me to do. Maybe I didn't apply all the pieces of the puzzle as they need to be applied in order to get what God promised to give. Can I tell you this? God is simply looking in your obedience and looking for you to step out, and you let Him worry about all the rest. We have lived under condemnation for far too long in the church of Jesus Christ. Yes, we have sin issues, but I am thankful that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Every time we confess it, He washes it away, and I will not be condemned by the past in regard to my future. Don't allow your past to hijack your future. Come on, church, understand, if you'll simply obey, simply step out, God will relieve that fear and show you more than you ever dreamed or imagined. Read it of Jonathan in Jonathan chapter 1. They needed to, excuse me, in 1 Samuel chapter 14. There is no Jonathan chapter 1, by the way, okay? That's a new book of the Bible. Don't even look for it. It's not there. 1 Samuel 14. That's where it's at. Verse 6, Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, we need to get up there and defeat the Philistines. They had to climb a rock cliff to do it. And this is what he said. He said, it may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord, whether he saves by many or by few. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. God is saying to you, all you need to do is get your hand on the cliff, put your foot in the toehold, and start climbing. Because God can save by many, or God can save by few. But He's looking for somebody who's sick and tired of sitting around and wringing their hands and worry and anxiety and wondering if it's ever going to happen. He's looking for somebody to put their hand on the cliff and put their foot in that first niche and be inclined that wall believing God will deliver. Come on, church. It's time for a rebellion. It's time for fear to die and faith to arise in our hearts and in our lives. I'm not going to get through this message this morning. We'll finish it next week, but I want you to hear and understand. When David 
saw Goliath mocking the armies of Israel, something arose inside of him that would not be quiet and would not be quenched. His brother said, why don't you shut up and go back to your sheep? Saul said, well, if you're going to do this, wear my armor. But when you read the story, the Bible says, David laid aside the armor that didn't fit. He shut out the voice of his brothers. He went to the brook. He picked up five smooth stones and put them in his pouch. And then he went to the battlefield. And when Goliath began to defame him and his God, he said, you come to me with a sword and a shield and a spear. But I come to you in the name of the Holy One of Israel who will deliver you into my hand this day. And then notice, it says he didn't just wait for the giant to come, but he took a stone out of that pouch. He put it in the sling. He began to throw it around his head like this. And he didn't stand and wait. He ran toward the giant. He ran toward the fear. He ran toward the battle. He said, I'm starting a rebellion. You've been mocking us for 40 days, but it ends right here. It ends right now. There's victory in the camp because one little shepherd boy said, I'm running to the battle. I'm running to the fight. You will not make me run. I'm bringing it to you. Somebody get that in your spirit today. Stand to your feet with me. It's time to recognize fear has no place in the heart of the child of God. No place in the heart of the child of God. Because if we will simply step into it, walk towards it, God's going to bring the victory every single time. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you walk through the waters, they're not going to overflow you. When you pass through the rivers, you're not going to drown. When you walk through the fires, you're not going to be burned. Why? Because I'm the Holy One of Israel. And I take care of my folks. I take care of my family. I take care of mine who have called my name. You know, folks, I've applied this principle my entire life. That you can say anything you want to say about me and it ain't going to bother me in the least. But you come against my family... And you're going to get the hospital or death. I'm telling you, I'll fight you to the finish if you come against my family. And you're my family. You're my family. My wife, she loves to put her arms around you and hug you. Tell you how wonderful you are. I'm not so much that touchy-feely kind. I'm a little rough and raw on the edges. But I'm here to tell you, if you're in a battle for your life, you need me in your corner. Because I'm going to fight tooth and nail. I smite him hip and thigh. I'm ready to take him on. Because that's what God has called me to do. I'm looking for men and women who say, I'm not going to fear anymore. I'm going to stand in faith. If you want to be a part of that rebellion, if you want to end fear in your life today, if you want to see God do something mighty, what he's promised years ago, yet come to pass, then right where you stand, step out and begin to come. Tom, sing it. No longer slaves of fear. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.